0: Hey guys, it's me, Alex. This episode of the Alex Cast is brought to you commercial-free by... Well, it's not commercial-free, this is the commercial. But there's no more commercials, and that's because of The Standard in Portland, Oregon. It's a bar. It's a good bar. It has drinks you can afford, and if you drink them, you'll have alcohol in your system, and you can talk to me and other people. It's good times. Facebook.com slash TheStandardPDX. And if you're in Portland, which most people seem to be moving here, go to 14 Northeast 22nd in Northeast Portland. You could have gotten that hint from the Northeast part. It's fun, right? Okay, so, uh, please enjoy this episode, and when you're done, go to the standard and drink stuff there. Cause, you know, I have bills to pay. Thanks, bye! Hey guys, uh, tonight I have on the show Christopher Garitano, the director of the Montauk Chronicles, a frankly very well done documentary about something that could have readily been a series of completely insane people talking into a camera. So thank you for that. Thank you for not having Lyndon Moulton Howe on. Uh, Well done.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much.
0: I think I just called her Lyndon. You know know what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So um, again, uh, to catch the audience up, uh, we talked about this slightly, but my computer decided to do something stupid. So, we are rehashing my fawning over Christopher making a good movie instead of some ancient aliens-type babble where it's a black screen with a robot voice talking about something.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we and have, we have way too much of that. And so my approach is to take this kind of saturated subject matter or sometimes like the Montauk, uh, not so saturated, and, and approach it in a very fresh, interesting way. You know, we seem to have deconstructed a lot of the, 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 the groundwork that was laid by people like every, everyone from Leonard Nimoy to Rod Serling to uh, Carl Sagan, uh, you know, to any, or, or, you know, anybody that created a, a, a viewpoint or perspective in regard to the supernatural or preternatural or paranormal. And it seems to have been bastardized into these ridiculously erratically edited, you know, shows that you know, start with empty promises of evidence and by the end of it leave you empty handed. And I, I'm the antithesis to that. So I'd like to always make fresh material. Yeah. I,
0: I've been on the show. Uh, I have railed against the horrors of the ancient aliens phenomenon where, and you, you worded it well in the pre show that it's, Hey, a bit of history. And then they slip in, you know, whatever horseshit conjecture they have and then a bit of history. And if you're not being careful, you can look up. The wrong stuff. And it seems like, oh, look, this holds some weight. There is evidence here while it's just more subterfuge, you know, trying to gild the lily.
1: Sure. And, and the thing is, th- the sad thing is, there's so many interesting facts that we can prove and so many bizarre things that have occurred or even atrocious things in regard to the alleged Montauk project that to believe in the things we can't prove first and foremost w- would be a big mistake because there are things we can reference. There are things we can prove that are just as insane or just as bizarre. So that, in my film, I'm trying to get people to see that. And also I find it quite interesting that just the idea of visiting these three men that, I, that were m- the subjects of my film was interesting enough to go to their homes and just hear these grown men, or the elderly men in some cases, tell the story of this just a Z-grade science fiction story as it was, you know, presented originally.
0: Yeah, it's that's some of the weirder stuff that that not some of the weirder stuff, the uncomfortability of it, and I mean uncomfortability in a good way, of people t- with all seriousness, you know, they, they don't have like a wry smile on their face. They're not being coy or like a little tricky, saying really just the weirdest things a human can come up with. I mean, this is, you're not going to find a stranger story out there than some of the stuff they're talking about. I mean, a, electric psychic monsters burning down a military installation. It's wild.
1: Sure, sure. They, I mean, that, that to me, and, and again, I knew of that story before I went into this. That's what, made me think that this was just completely and horribly uh, fabricated, you know, really done with no style or taste or thought into the whole thing. It had this big ending where the, the three guys became the heroes and released the monster from the id, like Forbidden Planet, into the base. It saved the day. I mean, it was just kind of fabricated completely like a real cheap you know, science fiction serial. But then there's this other aspect of it where Runaway, you know, boys or orphan boys were kidnapped and brought to the, the, the general story is this. Between 1971 and 1983, allegedly, there were secret experiments being conducted underneath the Camp Hero Air Force Base. Now, at that time, the Air Force apparently had moved out. They were developing uh, radar technology for a number of years. And by the time satellite technology was available, all of that stuff became obsolete, and there was supposedly a facility underneath the ground. This is something we have not been able to prove uh, yet, and so it is said that underneath that facility, because Montauk in the winter time was like a ghost town back then, and it really kind of a remote town, so it was an ideal place to build that base originally in the you know way back in the '40s. So uh, they say that runaway kids in and around New York City and Long Island were being kidnapped to be used in a secret mind control experiment that happened under the ground. And in addition to that, they say there was alien beings down there working in unison with the humans, that there was time travel experiments, there were uh, interdimensional travel, and then there was this device called the Montauk chair where a super psychic would sit in the in the chair and if he thought of something an inanimate object at first would be manifested into physical reality and then eventually what you were talking about this energy monster that they dubbed junior uh, at sometimes it's an energy monster other times it's a sasquatch as it was <laughs> explained came into this reality and uh, destroyed the base and saved the day because they were the, 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 men who conducted the experiments and ran the, the entire project were apparently going to bring the mind control into the general population. So the three men saved the day. It really sounded like a, a story. I'm a storyteller and it sounds like a, a silly story to me. But what I, what, what held my attention was this idea that these boys were kidnapped and being used in experiments. And if we go back to the MKUltra experiments or even the Tuskegee experiments, our governments are very capable of these things. So this this is the idea that kept me hanging on, and and I wanted to continue to search through this thing.
0: Yeah, that's the difficult part to kind of uh, sift through. And it, again, I'm glad you did this, not me, is trying to get past the more ridiculous angles and try to figure out what there is because there's been a lot of stories over the years. Um, I know recently I've been hearing a lot of interviews about this, about the amount of just sheer amount of missing young people that happen in the world. I mean, there but there's numbers that are staggering. I don't have them all off the top of my head, but, you know, just there's millions of people that are lost each year. And the these stories exist. There is like this bit of credibility of like, hey, you know, this could be something. Uh, there are stories from that area of people being abducted and then the other side picks up. So, you know the Stargate travel and the chair and all this stuff. So, I mean, I suppose I guess the, the question is what What do you What do you think? Not necessarily what happened, but what do you think has the best evidence for? You know, what's the stuff that you see? Like maybe this is this aspect of the story possibly happened as told.
1: Well. It's weird because for a number of years, there were only four men that were claiming that they were part of this. now, and this is you know post two thousand and six, it's very recent, uh, there are a lot of people that say that they were part of this thing that happened there or similar experiments. and uh, what I think is quite possible and I, it's not and I'm not disregarding the concept of extraterrestrial intelligent life or, um, you know, even the concept of possibility of time travel or, uh, you know, technologies that are being hidden from us. I'm, I'm not completely disregarding that at all. It's just, it sounds like to me, if there was an experiment like this being conducted, and it, and it could have happened because it has happened in our history, uh, almost identical experiments, so if there was something like this there where a large number of uh illegally taken people uh were murdered what better way to conceal this thing than to pump people full of drugs and stage uh, a whole alien uh you know armada underneath the ground and what you know who, uh, so if they ever escape if anybody ever survives this thing or if any employees ever get out and remember it uh, they're going to tell a, a tale of aliens and monsters, and no one's going to believe them. And I thought that would that's kind of an interesting way to conceal it. Uh, so I, I, I do think maybe there was something there, because I'm getting closer and closer to some type of real hard documented evidence that something occurred there during that time. Uh, you just have to keep going with it, because of course, if it's top secret, there's a, a large interest in keeping it top secret. Um, so, you know, after all this time though, I mean, there is, to this moment, there is no hard evidence. I mean, there's some, a couple of networks that are doing their versions of this and they've contacted me and some even want to license some footage from me that that I didn't use in the picture. And, uh, they're like, oh, we, we want footage of the alien tunnels. I'm like, are you serious right now? (laughs) Like, I don't, footage of the alien tunnels. Yeah, I was there hanging out with the aliens. It's great. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's, that's how involved these producers of some of these shows are because they don't really pay attention to what they're about to produce. That's, it's typical. Um, but in this case, I really wanted to just allow the men to tell their tale and allow the audience to pay attention. And I think it's all, it's, it's typically a big mistake if you're just going to, Hear some old man or young man or whatever tell you a story and just automatically assume he's telling the truth. It's important that we are cautious with this stuff. And I'm, I'm to this moment, I'm very cautious with it.
0: Yeah. uh, There's, I mean, we'll, we'll get to some of the, the people you interviewed in a bit, I'm sure. But are you still working on this? Uh, not necessarily the film, but I mean, are you still looking into the, the Montauk project that you said? Oh, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Volume one is, it's obviously finished and out there the world right now uh but i'm i'm following it up because i felt like it was important in the first film to establish the story and let the main men who put this out in the world tell it they're in my film the the, the three main guys who are the reason why anyone's talking about this are in my movie in their original interviews and i sat with them and, and spoke with them and allowed them to tell their tale in the second one I, I definitely am not repeating myself, and I'm, I'm talking to more people and talking to people that might have some evidence. We're going back to the site with the actual base itself because it's not like Area 51 where it's heavily guarded. You can literally go down there and walk around. It's it's legal. It's a state park. So um, I'm going down there with uh, a, a cadaver dog, so to speak, and uh, to try and find possibly a corpus delecti, because the thing is, there's this school down in Florida, that um, the Dozer School, that they literally found hundreds of bodies of boys, and several people who claim that they were part of the Montauk Project have told me in private that they really believe that the Dozer School is, is one of the other facilities, that the reason why these kids were murdered was because of a very similar program. And it hasn't really been explained as to why these boys were murdered. You know, was it just a mass murder by some crazy person that ran the orphanage down there? Or I don't think so. I mean, it it really seems to be in line. And and if there was one program, then there must have been more. And we were able to prove one of them. So I'm going to further look into that. At this, the second volume is called "Ghosts of Montauk." You know, meaning the residuals and um, the the outer effect of what this whole idea is and how far it's going right now. I mean, there's literally a, you know, Stuart Swerdlow, who's one of the men that are in the film, who claimed he was one of the Montauk Boys, now has an organization called Expansions, where he um, teaches the techniques that he claims he learned during his time at the Montauk Project. And there are people from all over the world that come to this thing. I think it's fascinating. It's not just the three men telling the tale anymore. Now people are really taking this seriously. So I think that's really fascinating enough to make another volume.
0: Yeah, that's super. I remember that story, that Florida school where they found all the kids underneath. That's, that's an interesting, uh, interesting correlation there that you might, you know, if you go to the actual site in Montauk, that you might, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, you got me, you got me interested in this next one. I want to see what happens.
1: Sure. And I, and I don't want to, and the thing is, I'm going to make it very clear. Like, I know, you know, at the very end of, of my picture, if you remember the, that guy, James Bruce, I asked him to take me to the base and look around and, he said there was a hatch down there that he was taken into. Well, that, even as dramatic as it may have seemed through the editing, that was all 100% real. I mean, the only way it was set up is that we set up the idea that we were going to go down there and look around, and I wanted him to show me this thing. Uh, so I'm going to spend a little more time with him because he claims that he remembers boys being dragged into this area that is now a... Uh, a dry uh, area that but was once a, a small kind of marsh area. And he said that there might be bodies in there. So that's where we're going to bring that dog. But I'll bring the dog all around Camp Hero and see what we can find, you know, because it's worth giving it a shot. Uh, and there seem to be more people now than ever saying that they were part of this thing in some capacity. So I, it's it's interesting enough to make a second, second volume.
0: Yeah, that, that hatch thing at the end was pretty interesting. Is that... So far off the beaten path. I mean, is that, uh, I've never been on it in Camp Hero. So that hatch, is that something that if you were from the area and wandering around, you'd be aware of? Or is this, you know, kind of deep back that you would have to kind of know about it, like before it was, you know, derelict?
1: It's not too far from the entryway into the park, but I had I never went down there in all the years I was exploring Camp Hero. I may, mainly stayed in the area near the radar, to the Sage Radar Tower and all of the bunkers, and just kind of didn't know that this path led anywhere. And lo and behold, it was that day that I found that thing for the first time. And I did more research, and someone told me, well, it was a water pump house. Well, that that could be true, but it is. Unlike some of the other buildings where you can actually enter, I mean, not legally, but you can get in like I did into the tower. That thing is just welded and cemented shut. Whereas every other building that I've noticed outside of the bunkers, the bunkers have these giant cement slabs you cannot get through. But the other buildings you can get in, you know, they just have, you know, plywood on the windows and stuff like that. So this water pump house is just welded shut. And I found that to be a little curious, but again, I'm not going to say, "Hey, there's the equipment down there, and it's an experiment room." It's just the place where this guy says it was. But I just find a few things to be curious, especially what, why, why such tight security on this derelict water pump house where it has to be literally welded and cemented shut. A little strange.
0: Yeah, that guy when he first showed up on screen, uh, James, the the one that showed you the the hatch at the end. He's the one that only, when he first showed on screen, he just screamed uh, fake to me. Like there's not, not uh, on your part, but that he's making it up. There's just something about his, his posture, his body language. But then when he shows the hatch, I was like, oh shit, that's at least insider knowledge to the point that like, you know, he grew up around there and was well familiar with the ground. So he, that one turned me around a little bit on him. So at least, you know, he was a amateur scholar of the place at, at, at worst, you know?
1: Yeah. Now, I haven't ruled out the possibility that he did make it up. It's a possibility. But I don't believe that he did because it's is a little complicated. But I gave him a chance to speak. And I've, I spent some time around him. And this guy is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as far as I can see, 100% believes that this stuff happened to him. He's lost, you know, I mean, family, uh, lost jobs over this. You know, he just he lives this every day. And, uh, I would say so because there are other people that wanted to get into the movie before it was finished. And I could tell that they were lying because I would ask a few questions and they just would just jumble around and not be able to tell me. And in, in James's case, he, it's like, I'm not saying he doesn't have the creativity to make it up or, but it, it, it strikes me as somebody who, um, wouldn't normally come up with a story like this, but then is recollecting these things, you know, bits and pieces of them, and telling me what he saw. And I don't. He. he I, I can guarantee you that he believes it. He really does. Yeah. Now, is he is he absolutely crazy, and did he fill his head with a whole bunch of this conspiracy stuff, and then convince himself that he was part of it? That's a possibility. But I don't know. I mean, after spending time with him, and I just. There's something to this and especially the way he explained his life in the early days where he was in kindergarten and he was taken out of class to put puzzles together. I remember that personally, you know, in the, in the, in the early eighties, you know, going to kindergarten and, uh, seeing kids being taken out of class and they would call. I don't know if you remember this or they had this when you were a kid, but the gifted kids remember the gifted kids who are the gifted kids they would take those kids out of class and bring them to another room and I'm not saying that proves anything but that's kind of strange you know like and they told they didn't say oh we're just taking these kids to another room they would literally tell all the other kids these kids were taking out they're gifted <laughs> in other words you're not <laughs> and yeah. they would take all these kids out and bring them to another room <laughs> strange
0: yeah no totally but, I, I- I suppose I never really put that together in that way. But again, it's, it, it's strangely enough, it echoes, or maybe the, the art echoes, but I mean, that echoes a lot of stuff that's in, um, pop culture. I mean, that's sort of, uh, like that show Fringe, where it's these special people that can, you know, be psychic getting pulled out. And it's, it's just, it's, it's interesting. It's just your note earlier about, you know, maybe this is just the disinformation is the weird side of the story. And it is just a, psychological experiment on kids and I just find it interesting that like some of this stuff echoes back into pop culture so maybe it is just a different disinformation thing the alien and the time travel aspect and it is you know like an MK Ultra type deal
1: I think it could be I mean our, our CIA uh, you know what is that Project Stargate did use people in remote viewing experiments there are a lot of credible people that really backed that story up. And then we have, you know, on another note, there's Gordon Cooper, our um, Right Stuff astronaut, uh, claimed that he was going to be part of a time travel experiment. He told that story to Lee Spiegel, and I don't think he was pulling his chain. So I don't I don't know. You know, it's it's weird because the longer I spend doing this research, you start to uncover things that, you know, eventually I feel that the Montauk tale, as crazy as it is, isn't so crazy if you start to research all the little points. I just don't know. I mean, you know, my first day with Alfred Bielek, who is the, the elder of the three men who passed away in 2011, um, you know, spending an afternoon with him in Fort Myers, Florida, I mean, it, within a three-hour period, he told me everything that you've heard in the Montauk experiment stories to vampires being real and that they live off of pig's blood. And I mean, that, you know, if you're familiar, and I'm and you probably are familiar with horror and science fiction and pop culture, I, you know, I am very familiar with it. And he, he must have told me, you know, 20 stories that check out the things that I've read in fiction or movies that I saw. So I, I don't know. I don't, I mean, are we going to say every idea, every piece of fiction is disinformation or, uh, you know, that's hard to say because I, I, I write fiction and, as far as I know, the ideas are coming from my own imagination. So it's such a weird, we're in a weird time. I think weirdest because not the men telling the stories, but the thousands and thousands of people around the world who believe these stories, you know, 100% without any anything to analyze or, you know, any hard evidence to prove it.
0: Yeah, but I mean, Scientology exists, so I'm not going to be too surprised sure. that people believe in weird shit.
1: <laughs> no, no. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, there we live in a weird, weird yeah. world for sure. But it's just, it's fascinating to me that you would make it your religion or you would, you know, spend day in, day out believing that, you know, I mean, remember the show in the 80s, uh, V or John Carpenter's They Live. You know, there are people that believe 100% that is the truth. I mean, not fiction, not an allegory, not a metaphor, not a satire. It's truth. Like, yeah. it's really happened.
0: Yeah, I, this, I've, this is going down the uh, the byways of the weird that I do for this show and just my own personal interest. And yeah, I've had people that have sent me videos of reptilian shape-changing on news channels, which <laughs> it's obviously not just some kind of glitch in the video. It's It's got to be. Their, you know, shape changing ability got messed up for a moment. <laughs> you know, and there, there's a deep well of this stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah I've seen a. lot. I've, yeah, I know. I had somebody that was really adamant about showing me the eye changing into a slit pupil, and he's like, "You see it?" I'm like, "No." He's like, "Come on, it's right there." And he kept replaying, and I'm like, "I don't see it." I'm sorry, if I saw it, I would say so. It's just not there. Yeah, I you think. I've,
0: yeah, I think I've seen that exact video where I. I Maybe it's that I don't have the right viewpoint because I never see the things they're talking about. Like all the stuff on Mars that Hoagland talks about, I never see it. It just looks like, it looks like rocks to me more than evidence of an ancient civilization.
1: Yeah, I was just talking about this the other night. You know, some of those, some of the things on the moon that were found and some of the, they do look like structures from afar, some of those things. But again, until we can prove it, and there are plenty of credible people that said they have seen things uh, that don't belong there you know like man made or or definitely artificial structures so i'm not ruling any of this out at all oh, it's totally. just, just because we you know we believe in one mystery doesn't mean that you you need to believe in all of them
0: yeah i certainly am not saying they don't exist it's just the 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 amount of them that people find That it's, you know, it's just one of those things where the longer you look, the more you're going to find. And at some point you cross that barrier where you're just seeing things that aren't there. I mean, there's some stuff. I mean, I've seen pictures of, you know, the Martian face and the Cydonia region. But frankly, that seems really weird to me that I'm going to have a hard time believing that that's just a natural, you know, a natural phenomenon. But then when, like the other day, they had a picture of a crab on Mars and you're like, come it's not, stop it. Now, (laughs) now you're just going too far. (laughs)
1: yeah I know that that looked like an odd creature but it i'm in this day and age I'm sure it can be uh photoshopped to hell you know? yeah um but I don't know i i mean hey i've the probability is infinite that there are intelligent uh beings outside of earth and in other galaxies other solar systems you know it's it's a it's a huge hugely probable thing and most likely is true uh so, I don't know. I don't rule any of this stuff out. I just, but, but you can't, also can't rule out that there are people that make this stuff up. And, you know, I think we should stick with the most credible people, you know, guys that have their jobs on the line and everything from physicists, uh, you know, astronauts, uh, former presidents, people like that. I think that are telling these stories. Uh, I think we should listen to them. And if there's just some guy that is just out there, you know, telling this big elaborate tale that he was this big hero and this big important guy and he was using this experiment. And usually a facility like this should should have employed at least, I don't know, it had to have been more than four people, you know. Yeah. Uh it it just something like this, something this high tech and something this important must have had at least a hundred people working down there. And my question is, where are those people? Were they all executed? Were they all taken out? Mm. And, you know, when you ask these guys um, the thing is, two of them claim that their memories were wiped and they regained them, so they don't know. They don't know how to answer that question. They don't remember. They were kept in their place. It was compartmentalized. And in regard to Stuart Swerdlow, he said he was a child and that he didn't really know what those people were doing or where they went. So I think time will tell that maybe something happened there, you know, at Montauk. And I believe that it's a strong possibility based on things like the MK Ultra experiments and the Tuskegee experiments that something happened there, you know?
0: Oh, indeed. And I, and I don't think these people are making stuff up. I, I should be, I tend to be a little cynical about some things. I don't think it's a malicious thing that they're actually, you know, thinking they're lying. I think it's more of a, a psychological issue uh, in some points and that these are highly creative people that have kind of fragmented themselves on a certain way and have invented this reality for themselves. I don't think it's, a lot of the stuff, I don't think it's people, you know, being a liar. It's just, you know, they you focus on something so much that you get invested into it that there's no way, you know, so that's all you're going to see, and especially with conspiracy theorists where it's every single thing is part of the conspiracy theory, and then if it's something against the conspiracy theory, it's proof because it's against it, and therefore they want you to think
1: that, you know? <laughs> yeah, that way of thinking is hurting our investigation into yeah. things like the Montauk project because... You know, if everything is a conspiracy, I mean, there are people that believe that the, the Earth is uh, not not that it's flat, that it's concave and that everything is inside. And, you know, OK, you know, it may be in some weird quantum dimension, but I ha- I've been on a plane to Hong Kong. You could talk to real credible people that have flown outside of this atmosphere into space. If they, I mean, this is one big elaborate hoax. Yes. Yeah. All a hoax, just to what? What? Why? Why don't they just tell us that the Earth is concave and that space is on the in, inner side? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Why? Why these people would go through great lengths to hide this from everybody? It just doesn't. It's just ridiculous, is what it is. Uh, but but there are people out there that believe this, and uh, you know, I, I just think that it's it's quite important to be careful, especially when possibly damaged minds or you know people who might do something crazy are, are getting this stuff inside their heads. And uh, are you familiar with um, John Carpenter's They Live? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Roddy okay. Piper, yeah. Right. So when Piper's going around blowing people away in the bank and in the jewelry store or wherever the grocery store, the people in society at that moment are just seeing this guy as a crazy guy like it's happening at least twice a week now, walking into a place and starting to shoot people. Yeah. And, and and so I wonder if some of these guys that are doing that, and I think some of them have said this, that they believe that, you know, the world's being, you know, taken over by this evil force and that they're heroes. And it's funny how in the movie, Piper is a hero, but nobody believes it because he's just walking into a bank, blowing away innocent people. And that's happening every day out here. And I'm <laughs> It's just a strange thing, and then so many people love that movie right now that, I don't know, it could be dangerous. That's the thing. When I was a kid and when you were a kid, or even now, when we love stories of uh, cryptozoological situations or UFO sightings or hauntings. I mean, they're really interesting, and they're, they're, they're great to read about, always have been. But when you get into the Montauk Project, this is different. This is like kids being kidnapped and brutally beaten and murdered and uh, you know the world being overrun by an evil force and trying to control your mind. And you know, great if it's fiction, but they're saying it's true. And there's sometimes it's a pretty depressing. It's a bummer, you know, to sit and think about this stuff.
0: Oh yeah. Well, you bring up a good point. With the They Live is is something, and this really concerns me because if you think about They Live, uh, early in the film, he's not really a hero in a lot of it. They're, these are just people. These are, I mean, the aliens. I'm calling them people, but the aliens are just they're office workers. These aren't the soldiers taking over the world. I mean, it'd be like, uh, you know, invading a foreign country, you know, you're the U.S. military and then, you know, knocking down the office that processes the military request forms and blowing away people at their computers. Like, these people were just shopping and the guy kicks the door down and starts murdering them. Like, I realize right. they're an invading race, etc. But like, as far as the message that's being told to some people that may have a fragile mind is... Well, they're, you know, these are other, therefore kill them. But they're just, they're doing the grocery shopping.
1: Right. It's, it's not like Invasion of the Body Snatchers where they're literally just absorbing you and getting rid of you. They're just becoming the rich in society. And well, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's conceptually, you know, still, uh, oppression, but, at the same time you're right yeah they're just kind of walking around shopping and doing their thing and he's just blowing them away yeah I mean, I, th-
0: these people are just doing their job they should they go to their trans-dimensional warp they show up and like i'm not saying they're good people but they're certainly not shotgun worthy and four people with a bit of a damaged mind and the one that occurs to me and that's the they live example i'm sure you saw that story of the guy that was claiming to be a half alien hybrid that had like this stockpile of weapons that got caught recently like i think they got killed recently
1: Oh, wow. No, that's what he said he was? Yeah.
0: um, Let me see if I can Google it real quick. It was, uh, yeah, he claimed to be a half alien hybrid and uh, that he worked for the government and he had this giant stockpile of weapons that he got caught with. Uh, I hope I can find it quickly. Um, Yeah, it was, I mean, this was just about a month ago, uh, but, you know, that's someone that that could have gone really wrong.
1: I know a guy who, you know, I'm not going to say his name, of course, but he really got so deep into this stuff and he was somewhat related to this movie and this project and he um, literally kind of lost it and just disappeared and then ended up in an airport and he walked in the airport and they were saying, well, what are you doing here? Because people started to complain. They saw there was something wrong with him. He's like, I'm here to lead the people. And they took him away and threw him in a mental institution. Holy shit. And it's not, it's not funny. It's sad. But it's like I knew him and we were friends. And he really got so deep into this stuff that he was calling me saying that they're coming to get me. And that I had to do certain techniques to stop them. And that the black helicopters are flying over and all of this stuff. And it, I guess this the, the material was just so overwhelming. And he may have already had some issues. And uh, it just pushed him over the edge, you know.
0: Yeah, that's, it's scary when that happens. Yeah, I found the story. This guy's name is Jeffrey Allen Lash. They found his body and he had 1,200 guns, 6.5 tons of ammunition, and $230,000 in cash. And he was claiming to be a half alien hybrid that was, uh, let's see, he was a part human, part alien creature sent to Earth to save humanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's from uh, uh, yeah, just the end of August the this story dates from. But that's scary because that's, I mean, that's real. That man had twelve hundred guns. That's
1: well, yeah, <laughs> that's not the last one you're gonna see. I'm telling you right now, you you're gonna this is gonna this is all coming full circle because if you think about the groups of people that believe every mass murder is a, you know, a staged thing to get our guns taken away. Oh yeah, and and then if you believe in the reptilians ruling the universe, and then if you believe, I mean, there are people who believe in all of these at once. Eventually, there's no other avenue but to rebel, you know, to create a revolution, because I think people are going to get sick of just talking about it on the internet, and at some point, someone's going to get up to people to take it very seriously, and they're going to say, all right, enough is enough. We have to fight back now. And you might see, and as far-fetched as this may sound, it's really not that far-fetched. You might see a group of people that really believe this stuff and that will go and use violent force to fight back in their minds, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I don't doubt it for a second. It's the 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 fervent nature of how these people believe reminds me of, of like a religious system. And I, I don't think this is surprising that this sort of as religion kind of is in the decline, this kind of conspiratorial weird thinking rises. That people wanna still have in some way this thing to blame things on, you know. So it used to be God, and now it's, you know, seven-foot reptilians that can shape change or whatever your thing is. It's something to rally behind, and we've certainly seen religion. Well, you know, there's there's a couple people have been killed because of them, uh, you know, here and there over the years. Sure. Yeah, so. I, I yeah I know that's a concern for me because I know people that are, you know, really zealots. I would I would say for some of this stuff. I mean, they will not hear a counter argument. You know, if I've had a friend, I mean, not I don't think he's certainly not a violent person, but he got to the point of pu- nearly punching me because I was trying to tell him how the moon landings, how it'd be more difficult to fake them than it would be to land on the moon, given the technology of the time. And oh, he got mad at me.
1: <laughs> well, I you know in, in regard to the moon landing thing. Um, when you have an eye for what's real and what's fabricated, and I'm sure you do. A lot of us that watch these movies, we know it's real and what's not, or at least some of us do. And I, I make the visual effects myself, so I, I mean, I have a I'm burst in it, and I can tell you that all of those orbital shots from the '60s and all that—that's all real, okay? I, and 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 the texture of the surface of the moon, you know, I, I, I didn't rule out the possibility that maybe we got into orbit around the moon at that time. Uh, maybe we got close to it. All that stuff was real, and there's a small possibility that all the surface stuff was fake by, you know, Kubrick. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know, because if even if you look at that stuff, the texture is just... They couldn't reproduce that. They could barely reproduce something like that right now. It just has such a unique look to it when it's real. It's so unique. I mean, even in what was the best special effects for space of recent? Maybe Gravity? You know, it wasn't a great movie, but the idea of these people on the space station, well, that didn't look real. It looked good, but it didn't look real. And and you could look at those shots from satellites, and you can look at those shots from space stations, and it, the light refraction and, and, and the texture and everything else is real. You just can't reproduce that right now. You can't. Yeah, I
0: th- I was actually the same thing as you, Is that I thought that the only parts that ever struck me as being somewhat that I could believe is that maybe they fudged a couple of the photos, just because I, you know, look, I can't even tell you the reasoning because everything else, like faking the launch, the everything else, just it would be harder not to. I mean, the amount of people. Oh, no, you're were, right. No, yeah. that
1: launch was real, man. Yeah, it's, all, it's real. There's a big. Deal. You could look at any science fiction film with the greatest special effects artists. They could not reproduce that stuff even now. It's yeah. just too. It's just a texture and a feel and an atmosphere when it's very real and you can't, It just can't be done right now. It, you know, maybe later it can, I don't know, but yeah. right now there's it, something real has such a unique flavor to it that you just can't reproduce.
0: And that's the scary part when people can't see that, that they can't, you know, kind of tell the difference between that line. And, you know, that's you know, the end. Some of them could have guns or, you know, whatever it's, yeah, it's there's, yeah, there's a line of kind of crazy that, gets a little, I don't know, disturbing because of the, you know, how fervent they believe things. And that's actually, going back, um, the, who was the engineer? I'm sorry, I, the names got all mixed up in my head.
1: That's okay. Well, there was Preston Nichols, who was the, he was the electronics guy. He was the guy who built the chair. Um, I would think that he he's the oh, one yeah, you're that's referring one. to. Yeah,
0: kind of the heavyset guy? Yes. yes. Okay he struck me as like he f- really believed in what he was saying
1: he does he does
0: and that's kind of scary cuz i've just had this it's a really di- a silly rule of thumb but if someone without you asking them tells you what their iq is there's something really wrong with them and he Agreed. did that yeah <laughs> he did that 200 iq thing i went uh oh yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I see, I don't know where any of that comes from. There's something very, well, there's a lot of very strange things about Preston. I interviewed him twice, once in 06, where I thought he was on acid. You know, like he was just, he told me this story, and I, I'm going to put it out in, in some deleted stuff. These were the older interviews. I, I, I shot two versions of this movie. I, the one that's out there right now, the one you saw, I started in, in January of 2013. The one that I shot and made previously that I'm not showing around anymore uh, was started, I started it in 06. And in that interview with Preston, um, he told this story of not only a, a giant bird, a thunderbird, as the, the, you know, Native Americans called it, landed on his roof and then ate a whale in his backyard. What? And then, yeah, then he told me the story of a shape-shifting bear uh, a bear showed up with a hurt paw. Then it came inside and shape-shifted into a young man, and who knows what happened. But the thing is, it's it, he told a lot of stories, and uh, you know, it, it it takes away from his credibility. And I felt the guy either lost his mind completely, or he was on something. When I went back in oh, I'm uh, uh, sorry, in in, in 2013, he uh, was very different. In, in the interviews that you saw, he wasn't as out of his mind. You know, he was still telling some strange stuff. And the funny thing that happened when he knew I shut the camera off and he was watching, he kind of shifted into this really sober, lucid state. And he said, you know, Christopher, there's just some things I'm not going to talk about when you're running that camera. I'm sorry, but I can't. You know, and he, it was just like not the guy I was just interviewing, which really blew me away. Like, is this all an act? Does he have to put on the crazy act? And so I started putting little pieces together that he did say, and he does say it in the movie, that he would go back and do it again. This is a guy who was a loner, who was obsessed with technology, who loved science fiction growing up and then ended up, apparent, you know, in his mind, it, you know, being part of a, a science fiction story. It was this dream come true. But in the process, and you saw him get very defensive when I brought it up and actually yelling at me, uh, he didn't want to face that there were boys that were killed. So I believe in his mind, at the very least, he, another person who really believes this happened. You know, he believes he was there.
0: Yeah. Now, I know it's not really your job as an interviewer you know you're there to have you know administer them telling the story but did you during the interview it's, it's kind of interesting to him and stewart especially because they seem to have i don't know they seem to be more fragile to put it playly, uh with some of their stuff did you ever call them to task for any kind of you know contradictory statements or stuff that just and when i say this i know what it, i don't mean it that frankly doesn't make any sense and i don't mean you know monsters from outer space, but like, you know, the electrical engineer, I think at one point made reference that he had to like go in and kind of put people's psychology back together after they were broken down, which, I mean, that doesn't seem like a really suitable job for an electrical engineer. You know, that would, you'd probably want to hire a psychologist of some variety, you know?
1: Yeah. That's where the story becomes really convoluted because, okay, they hire him for his expertise in building antennas and his electrical expertise. But then where does it happen that he's being hired to reconstruct psychologically uh, a young boy's mind who was just beaten and raped and all these other things that a lot of people don't want to talk about uh I don't know he claims that he had other psychic abilities and this is why he was specifically chosen for the job so and and again it becomes so convoluted because and the reason why they say because their memories were wiped and they're only picking up on fragments. So the reason why the story is so fragmented is because that's how they, the only way they can deliver it. Uh, however, there's been several books written about the subject and I, you know, I don't know. I, and again, wouldn't this all be top secret? You know, uh, and he claims, well, he signed a document for one thing, but didn't sign a document for the other. I agree. There are a lot of inconsistencies, but a promise that I made was I was just going to ask questions and not put them on the hot seat because that would probably throw us off. And I just wanted to get as much information from them as I possibly could and then allow the audience to scrutinize the information. And I literally say that in the picture. Pay attention. Watch them speak. Look at their eyes. Look at their body language. I wanted you as an audience member to be part of the investigation. It's just what I chose to do because I could sit and tear these guys apart if I wanted to. You could do it to anyone, really, you know, on any subject matter. But I just felt it would be more interesting to just allow them to speak, allow them to stay comfortable, and tell that story, and then let the audience absorb it however they choose. And that was just my choice. Oh, totally.
0: No, I think that's the right choice. I was just curious if, I mean, frankly, if I was in your position, I hope I would have done the exact same thing, and then the last day of the last interview start. You know, just throw a couple contradictions out. Just, I just wanted to see how we would react as the looking at the guy, literally just wanting to study his mannerisms when it happens to see, you know, what, what he looks like when something is presented to him. Cause
1: sure. Okay. Well, there's a few moments where, I, again, like I would say, you know, how could you allow this to happen to these boys? What, and he, he freaks out and says, well, if you had all these guns pointed at you, you'd do it too. You know, he's screaming yeah. at me. And it's like, so I did ask him a few tough questions, but, I felt like it was important for this first volume to just let them tell that tale. And what I am going to do on the next one, at least with with Preston, is that, yes, okay, if you're this genius who can put these things together and make them work, then do it. I want to see a piece of technology work, and I want to be able to photograph And if we can't do that, then what are we saying here? You know, I mean, if Preston was able to do it down in Montauk, why can't we do it here in his lab? So... Yeah, I want to,
0: I, do my best. I desperately want to see that. That's, cause I, I love him telling a story. I wouldn't change a second of it, but I'm so curious to see, you know, when, when those people are put to task, what it looks like. There was, um, I'm sure tr- you've probably run into the story. You know, that guy that claimed to be a half dolphin hybrid soldier. I think his name's Aaron McCollum, maybe.
1: I did hear about that. <laughs> so
0: anytime he's interviewed, I'm like, can't we interview him near water? Like why are we why are we in a room? Like you're, if you're a half diver dolphin super soldier, why aren't we near a pool? Because this is really easy to like. This is the super easiest thing to prove. Go jump out of the water six feet into a flip. You know, but no one ever does it.
1: <laughs> I agree. No, I I think people should be taken to task, and and I, and I and I plan to, but in the best way possible. It's it's to support them. It's to say, okay, you are saying this is true, and I want people to know. And you want people to know. Otherwise, you wouldn't be telling this story. You wouldn't be writing book after book about it. So let's see some of this stuff work. Let's see how it works. Tell me. I want to support you. Show me. And if if there's an argument, if there's a resistance, of course, I'm going to ask, well, why not? And this should be in, the, in film and it should be displayed. Because if all of this is true and, and they're spending their lives telling the story, why not take it a step further and display it for us?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, my thing is, I like to come at things from a skeptical perspective, but from the old school skeptical, where I want to be wrong. Like, oh, I want to see this man build something that's impossible. Like, there's nothing I would like better than a Stargate to show up, or proof positive that some weird thing exists. I mean, this one I'm not hoping for because of the horrors involved, but you get the idea. Something miraculous would be fantastic. So I want them to do it. I want them to build something crazy on camera, because... You know, it's, the world would be boring if all the crazy-sounding people actually were just crazy.
1: No, I. there's something to all of this. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I did have uh, a couple of, I guess you could call supernatural or odd or unexplainable experiences, and one of which which was quite terrifying. And I, to this day, I'm not going to say what it was because I don't know what it was, but I know what it wasn't. And, um, you know, I... I Relate to certain people that have, have gone through things. I listened to them. You know, I, ne- I, I, I didn't go, I could have been a bastard and went into this thing just to tear everybody apart. Like, you know, they did in every episode of, uh, Penn and Teller's show bullshit or, um, you know, uh, like the amazing Randy does, you know, uh, the, I like those guys, but, I think we waste a lot of time just tearing people apart and, and allow them to tell their tale. You know, I wouldn't do what a lot of these television shows do and just kind of roll you through the, <laughs> the motions until the end and you don't even know what you just saw and they make all these promises. But I do, I think it's very interesting to hear these men tell these stories in itself. You know, just, just hearing them tell the tale is interesting yeah
0: Wait, so uh, you said this this disturbing thing that happened to you, paranormal what what wasn't it if you don't know what it is what, what's th- Okay well,
1: I, I'll tell you what happened. Um, I was around 14 years old. I wasn't you know on any kind of drugs, so I just want to lay that out right now. Uh, I wasn't crazy. Um, I, I went to sleep normally one night in my parents' house and um, I woke up. it literally woke me up to the sound of a whispering, very loud. Uh, And it was being articulated from a female voice. This was in the middle of the night, very dark. You know, I I woke up in a dark room listening to this. I wasn't sleeping and I got up out of my bed and kind of terrified at whatever this was. And I just felt compelled to kind of walk around the house and find out the source. Maybe someone has a radio station on and the signal's bad or something. So I kind of walked around and looked in each of the rooms and looked downstairs and looked all around and just could not find the source of this. And I knew it was something strange. I knew it was something not normal, but I had to look around anyway. And so I went back to my bed and I was really just terrified. And I stayed up until I think the sun came up and I eventually fell asleep. It happened one more time. And I believe it was the next night. And I just wanted this thing to stop, whatever it was. But it didn't happen during the day and it didn't happen any other time. It just happened those two nights. It never happened before and it never happened again. And it was this voice. It was whispering and it sounded like gibberish. And I cannot tell you what it was. And it was very apparent, very loud and I brought it up to my brother. I think the the next day, and he, of course nobody else heard it. But what was this thing that I heard, you know? And I know I heard it, and it was it was not normal. And again, this is something that didn't happen a bunch of times. It only happened twice in my life, and um, I can't tell you what it was. I don't know what it was. You you know, I I I used to say it was a ghost, but I don't know if it was a ghost. I don't know what it was, wow. but it was something yeah. strange.
0: Yeah, that is something strange. And and you would think if it's a ghost, they wouldn't be just. Oh, just two nights randomly, I'm going to pop in from the astral plane and whisper to you, you know?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I, I have no idea what it was, but it was definitely, you know, when you experience something, and I've had a few other things happen, uh, but not too many, that when you know it's not normal, you just know it. You know it in your instinct. You're like, wait a second. This is something, <laughs> this is not supposed to be happening. Um, but it, you know, I, the things that I've seen, or if experienced are, you know, they're quick, they're out of the corner of your eye, you really have to focus on them for a moment, but you know, you saw it. It's never like a seven foot reptile man came in and started talking to me. You know, I, I never had that issue. Um, so when you hear about these things that are just so stark and so vivid, and um, at first, I was just like, these guys are all nuts. You know, that was my first impression in 06. But after many years of, Working and sifting through this and hearing other people tell stories, I don't know. I I can't tell you that it didn't happen because there are some really credible people that back some of the lineage, you know, that lead to these stories. Up, you know, uh, the secret societies and extraterrestrials and the reptilian race and all these other things. It's like it's a. It's not just these guys talking about it. So. I don't know. What do What do you? How do How do you feel about all this stuff? I guess it's either tune it out completely, or get Get into the research and see where it's all coming from. Why are people telling these tales?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I I love this stuff, and I'm my kind of fight against some of it is the more outlandish claims that are so easily just shown. You know, like the fake moon landing and all that stuff, where it's it muddies the water for when you want to actually research. And it just makes it that much harder to get down to finding some Like, at one point, pretty recently, I was trying to find out the golden tablets of Hermes Trismegistus, the, the hermetic things. It's the foundation thing of of hermetic thought. And I'm like, oh, well, where did the term golden tablet come from? I just, sorry, emerald tablet. Where does it come from? I was trying to figure out if at some point there's uh, uh, there was a historical artifact that was called that and it existed somewhere. If you put that into Google, it is just, it's all websites that look like they're made on GeoCities in like 1998. It is just <laughs> poorly written, thousands of pages that connect everything from Atlantis to everything. And it's like, I just want to do research, but it's been too muddied and I have to shrug my shoulders and say, well, I guess, you know, I guess we can't do research now. There's, there's too many. The, uh, the New Age movement has taken over
1: and, you know, there's no way to sift through. But this is interesting because I think maybe the way to do it, and I have a pretty extensive collection of uh, you know supernatural and, and paranormal literature, like dating back to the '70s, and it's like I think it's time that some very serious researchers write new volumes. And so the things you're looking for, you might have to go back out and start hitting library archives, interviewing witnesses, all of these things to kind of. You know, have these things well documented, um, because I don't, I don't know if there's any other way to do it. You know, I, I think there's ancient texts and there's certainly, I have a book on Stonehenge that's just fantastic, but it's out of print. And I think it's been out of print for many years. Uh, but it's great. I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, you certainly can't get your hands on it in a, in a Barnes and Noble. So the idea is, I, I think if you're going to get any books on this subject matter, you need to hit, um, you know, used bookstores and go to their sections and really search them. And you'll find things that are pretty brilliantly written, you know, some of these books. Uh, because at a time when it was really obscure, uh, I think people re- took it seriously. And I have another book on secret society, uh, secret societies It's just so well written uh, and so well put together that I think it's better than anything on the Internet. And it's an old book, you know, it was printed in the 70s. So yeah.
0: I would love to see yeah modern uh scholarly inter- uh, you know uh, intervention in this cuz I think there is a lot to all of these stories that there's a kernel of something at the heart of it and because it's you know kind of you know like they say a lot of uh, not a lot of archaeologists but I've heard you know proper archaeologists say well they would love to look into Atlantis but they'd be mocked horribly because of all the well it was a foundation of crystals and all that stuff where as an archeologist, they would love to spend their free time looking for Atlantis, but they'd be laughed out because, because of the, the, the stigma associated with it.
1: Well, I think one way to remedy that would be that same archeologist can create a pseudonym, do his research and put the book out underneath, under the pseudonym, retain his position as an (laughs) archeologist and and get the information out there.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, you know, going to the people you're interviewing, the, um, uh, Alfred, is that his name?
1: Yeah, Al Bealek. He passed away oh, in, in uh, twenty eleven.
0: I was I, so I was looking into him because you know he looked to be legit, you know, some kind of military type person. And you know. Um have you? I mean, I'm sure you have because he made the movie. Have you looked at some of the? Uh, I I just briefly went over the internet, but there's like a whole website called like, you know, Al Bielek is a hoax or something like that, that some of his claims, because he also claimed to be part of the Philadelphia Experiment, apparently.
1: He did. Um, Yeah, and I and I have that, and again, like I shot 300 and, I don't know, 25 hours of footage for both combined, collectively, for the both Montauk movies. I have a lot of stuff with Al talking about the Philadelphia Experiment, but if I put it in the movie, we would have what you feared you might have gotten from me is just this Stagnant talking yeah. head, yammering on and on for three hours about stuff we, you know, can't really grasp or prove. But Al did say that, and it was funny because during the interview, uh, it was this is this is an '06. I'm sitting in his backyard. We shot one interview in the house, one outside. His nose started bleeding and his arms started bleeding. I remember my grandmother was taking blood thinner for you know her heart, and, and she had the same issue because her skin started to just, you know, little parts of pieces of blood here and there. Uh, well, the same thing was happening to him, but he said, I'm bleeding because I was age regressed three times. One of my lives, I was a man named Ed Cameron who was on the USS Eldridge when it disappeared. And he was there. And he claims that he jumped over the side of the ship. But it wasn't Al Bielik. It was a different guy. And I remember Al being part of a program, I think, either in the late 90s or early 2000s on History Channel, where they just put the lower third underneath him that said he was a historian. And they never showed any of the footage of him talking about being on the Eldridge. So it's possible that Al is just very well-read uh, you know, read everything on the paranormal, read a lot of books on history, and a guy who was very lonely. And I'm saying this is a possibility. I'm not saying Al wasn't part of these things. But it's possible that Al was a very lonely guy, that he's very well read, and felt like he needed some kind of purpose in life. So he invented this tale, even maybe in a fugue state in his mind. You know, he, he had to do it to survive, you know. Uh, so he became this hero, and he got this attention, and certain people respected him for it. Uh, that's a possibility, that it was all invented by a man who just was very lonely and had a lot of knowledge of, of things and, and concocted the story. But here's the thing. There are other people that say and are telling the same tale. So it's either they all got together and agreed that they were going to tell the story together, or some of it's true.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to follow that up with, because I want to believe in weird stuff. Um They do seem to be telling pretty similar stories. I mean, given the the scope of the Montauk stuff, where, it, I mean, it goes from everything from child murder to it seems like some kind of occult ritual to Stargates to trans-dimensional war poles, I think pretty much anybody could just say anything and it might fit into that story somewhere, but they do te- seem to be telling a similar narrative. Is it possible that... Like, was there kind of an original kind of story that came out by one of them and the other two or the other few that have come out kind of just repeated that? Or do these come out with such, you know, from such different disparate angles that it'd be hard for them to, you know, be copying one another?
1: I think where this originated was there were circles of gatherings and groups of people in and out of New York City. Where they were all, they were kind of like UFO clubs or science fiction clubs or whatever. They got together and they told these paranormal tales. And Preston showed up and Al showed up to these things with these stories. Um, and I think what happened later was Stuart Swerdlow attended one of these meetings and he was drive, uh, uh Preston Nichols offered to drive him home and In conversation, this is what I was told, that Preston remembered Stuart as a younger man in the program and said, you were at Montauk, and Stuart was recalling a lot of these things from his youth, and they put two and two together. Because remember, there there wasn't any internet, and there wasn't any books on the subject matter yet. So as fate would have it, these guys ended up meeting. Now they either all got together and made it up together. Or it's as they are telling it, you know, and that they were part of something. And then just as fate usually works sometimes, you know, you, you end up in the in the same place again. And a little bit later is when the first book was made. And I think the guy who was producing that book or ran the company that published it also met these guys at some of these meetings, you know, and offered to uh, help them put the uh, the document together. I think that's how it started. So uh, because before that it wasn't there wasn't any literature about it and there, again, there wasn't any internet where everyone could go on YouTube. It just didn't exist.
0: Yeah, but there was a gathering place so that kind of I mean it doesn't really clear anything up, but it does it, it gives credence both ways actually. but uh, yeah, has there been any kind of uh, not proof, but they interacted with people on that base. Has there been any, you know, government documentation of, like, at least that person existed? Like, what was the main guy, Jack? Was that?
1: Yeah, I hear there was. I have yet to see it. But people say, oh, well, they know Jack Pruitt worked there and that name has been thrown around and that he was there. And then there's this other guy that keeps writing to me on Facebook saying that not only does he know Jack Pruitt existed, but he is Jack Pruitt. Ooh. (laughs) He might even be listening right now. Oh wow. And he writes to me at least once a week. And he tells me that he's Jack Pruitt. However, he looks like a very young man. And um that he knows he was there at Montauk and he's in another body right now. So I get a, I get a few of these uh every now and then. And uh, I suspect there's gonna be a lot more because what's gonna happen? what what's happening now is I made the first movie on the subject, but you may or may not know that Netflix uh is making a series now inspired by, I guess, the stories and the movie that I put out that um, it's all based on the same subject matter. It's called Montauk, and it's coming out from as a Netflix original series. So this is, if that show is a hit, you're going to, it's just like, it's going to be everywhere. Oh, it's, yeah. You know, as big as Roswell and, and the stories will change. They'll, what I'm saying is there'll be more people saying that they were part of it. And if there was a situation where there was mass murder, what a perfect thing for them to conceal it, get this fictional, you know, family thriller out there and get the whole world to enjoy it as fiction. So no one believes this thing really happened. I don't know. I, I mean, it could be that there's, there's pressure now because, like I said, there's going to be a group of people eventually that are going to take it seriously enough to either approach Congress or uh, start some kind of violent situation over it because it has nowhere else to go. You know, it, it went through this progression where the tales were told, a couple of books came out, now the movie's out, now people are claiming they were really part of it. They're getting in these heated discussions about it on these on your like shows like your own. And what's the next step? Well, the next step is to do something about it. And so I don't know what that is, but it's going to happen.
0: Oh yeah, this is. Ring so familiar. It's, uh, you know, so not, not to bring it to a super dark place, but it's corollary. So we're recording this on uh, the anniversary of nine eleven right now. I was on the East Coast at that point, And I watched the stories grow in my, not necessarily my social group, but the group that I interacted with from, oh, I went to that building once too. I was supposed to be there next week too. I was supposed to be there that day. And you just watch this kind of swell up of people. Wanting to be kind of either connected with it or, you know, in some kind of tangent way, have it affect them more because it's this such a big thing that you want to kind of not us, but some people want to kind of get involved with that. And I can totally see when the series come out, you're going to get from the woodwork, a bunch of people saying, oh, well, you know, my, my mother was in that. And she told me the stories. My brother was in that. They told me the stories. I almost got kidnapped. Yeah.
1: Yeah, oh, that's already happening. So I can only imagine a big show like that, yeah. you know, doing their thing, and everyone's going to be convinced that uh, well, not everyone, but you know, yeah. <laughs> a good deal of people. I mean, I like I said, I have some gentle young gentleman telling me he's Jack Pruitt, and by the looks of it, I I believe he believes it. So, <laughs> you know, like this is not just a joke. He really, this guy yeah. really believes he's Jack. I mean, I looked on his Facebook for a little while, and he's got some really odd stuff on there. So.
0: No, he was, he, he was soul-switched, or was he regressed? He was age-regressed? Because I know there's those two options from what I've read. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, oh, okay. I can't
1: back in. I don't know. I, I All I know is that Al Bielik said that he was age-regressed. The one interesting thing, though, Al Bielik brought that term up to me in 2006. I think there was a Harvard study where they used the same terminology regarding a mouse, which was a few years later. And they did. This is a true thing. They age-regressed a mouse. Oh yeah, so,
0: yeah, I read that they, they they lengthened the telomere reduction or whatever so
1: it went, oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So it worked and they it, it worked. So I don't know. I mean, is it possible that al uh was exposed to technologies that have been, you know, cuz they do take quite a while to let us know things are coming out uh or have been made. They don't let us know the day these things are established. That's for sure. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm just very. I, I always take it from a very cautious place. Every yeah. step I take in these in, in this investigation has been cautious. I'm not going to say that any of it is true because I've yet to see any true hard evidence of it. I do get a lot of people though claiming they saw things out there, and some of which are pretty credible people. I had one guy who um, I, I interviewed. You could see the deleted scene. I put it out on my YouTube channel. Part of it, at least, because I shot a lot of footage with him. I could make a whole movie just about spending time with him. But there's a guy uh, who was a commercial shark fisherman at the time of the interview, and he also worked for a, a television station, and he wanted to conceal his identity. But he said when he was out on uh, a shark fishing trip coming back at night, late at night, he saw a craft uh, that came out of the water, right off the coast of, uh, you know, off the Montauk Point, which is is Camp Hero, uh, um, a UFO, you know, came from out of the water, hovered above his boat, you know, exploded into this rapid procession of colors and then took off into the sky. And he's not the only one that said he saw things out there. Um, the head of Chamber of Commerce out there said he saw, when he was 18 years old, he saw a disc-shaped object fly over Camp Hero and then disappear. So there are there are a lot of people that said they saw things out there. And again, a good deal of them credible. So this is these are the things collectively that keep me from saying this is all, you know, bullshit.
0: Yeah. Now let me, uh, since we've been going for a bit, let me ask you the, because I live in this world, and this is a natural question for me to ask, I've, heard many times from many different uh, stories and people that the military abduction sites where they do weird experiments or whatever are in some way chosen for their either you know uh some people say it's the talor currents or the ley lines or the there's some occult significance or there's some energy there and i can't believe i'm asking you this but did you feel anything when you're there like is there like a creepy vibe has anybody spoken about this
1: Oh, yeah. No, there is. I spent a lot of time out there by myself in the dead of winter. I mean, there's nobody there. Um, and then there was one moment when you'll see, like, some of these shots are in the film, but I was all by myself. And, you know, it's a shot of the tower. The wind is blowing. It's really late in the day. The sun's going down. Um, and, and I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's the power of suggestion. I really tried to walk into that place every time as it's just an old Air Force base and there's nothing wrong here. And most of the time I wasn't scared, but I think when I was making that shot, I felt something. You know, I felt like, wow, you know, this, this very strong energy came over me while I was sitting there getting this shot and I kind of wanted to get out of there. And there was this family of deer that kind of walked by when I was getting that shot and they were staring at me and then they took off. It was just atmospherically, it was perfect, but I'm a guy who loves horror films and, and makes them. And I don't know. It could have just been my imagination. So. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's just, it's one of these weird overlaps that, again, I hate, I don't want to write it off because it happens so often, but there's this overlap between, you know, energy awareness people, uh, military sites, uh, you know, ancient, you know, megalithic sites, and then UFOs. They seem to, there's a lot of places where all these kind of overlap at once. And it just, it, I've heard it so many times in so many disparate places that I, i I I hate myself for it, but I'm like, oh man, this actually might, there might be something to this, you know?
1: I think there could be, you know, after all this time, it's just frustrating that I can't get my hands on something where I can tell you, you know, Alex, I can tell you that, okay, I know this happened. I think I'm close. I was on a Coast to Coast AM in February, and after I got off the show, I received an email from someone, I can't tell you, you know, they're who they are, course, but yeah. they, they worked for uh, a chemical company, a known chemical company in the 1970s. This person oversaw documents uh, that their boss was passing around uh, very secretly because this person worked closely with their supervisor. The supervisor had documents that had the Brookhaven Labs name and address and Camp Hero name and address. This was in 1983 and also CIA documents and, and a secret uh, experimental alloy that was being sent to Camp Hero at the time, and other strange things were going on. And I feel that if I pursue this, uh, we might find some kind of document that proves there was something really, really covert happening at Camp Hero during that time.
0: Ooh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh... I always love the stories of the, the advanced, uh, uh, metals that, again, another one of these commonly recurring stories. The recently they uh, I read that scientists have kind of figured out transparent aluminum, which has been part of this story for a while. The, um, so much so that there's a conspiracy theory that one of these Star Trek films had it in there as disinformation.
1: <laughs> it could be. Uh, I mean, why, why not? You know, we're, for a while most people collectively all listen to the same stuff and kind of watch the same stuff until the advent of the internet it's now so scattered and we don't all watch the same things and there's so many different things out there uh but you know what i'm saying it's like before you know the early 2000s really a lot of people were familiar with the same things. so i think that concept would be uh, would make sense because it's like okay we all watch the same, relatively the same news stories, and we all watch the same television shows, and all the same ideas are out there. So we're being influenced by this one suggestion. But right now, it's so scattered that, I i mean, I haven't watched TV in almost two years, and I don't really pay attention to uh, really what's happening in the world too much because i I wanted to tune it out. I wanted to feel what it was like to try and tune a lot of that out. It feels pretty good. But I, I do think you're being manipulated by advertisements for sure and by the news, you know. I, I feel like the news constantly wants to break you down and take your, uh, your, your positivity away and break your heart, you know. I, I feel like a lot of those stories are out there for those reasons. I don't know exactly why.
0: Oh, no, I totally agree. I've, uh, I've had conversations with a friend of mine who, all he reads are negative stories that annoy him and, you know, kind of make him doubt the goodness of humanity. I'm like, well, that's because those are the news stories. Stop reading them. I, go to a website. Actually, I just typed into Google a, a site of only good news and sent him to that. Like, just read that for a while because, yeah, that's the news isn't going to report, you know, uh, a mother hugged her kid really extra hard today. That's, you know, that's not going to show up on CNN.
1: So, so I agree, <laughs> but I'm, what I feel... Are important stories are um, invention uh, people that have helped other people um, you know positive outlook on the state of things finding new musicians and artists to inspire new yeah. generations instead of constant barrage even though I like a lot of them constant barrage of remakes and superhero films and if we could just get past these things and invite a world of uh, uh invention and creativity and originality again you know it seems like i mean i used to i'm sure you remember we used to know what bands were good and who played guitar and who was the you know the creator of this music that we love so much and it seems like all that's gone right now in the place of i listen to some of the modern music and i don't want to sound like an old man but you know, like some of this stuff is just difficult to take um and it's really not even that it's like jarring or disturbing it's it's really milk toast there's it has no danger to it there's nothing yeah you know? so i i'm just um and i'm sh- there's good music out there but the thing is we used to know it All, a lot of people would like i could meet a guy in Oregon or wherever and say hey you heard of that but yeah i heard of that band it's really good yeah 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 but it's not really happening right now for some reason and um i don't know if it's a big conspiracy but it seems like you know, people forgot that they can achieve great things. And I would rather be part of, instead of just, because I've seen the darkness in in the world, I've experienced some really bad things. But what I'm saying is, I I just feel like it's important that we point out that there are strong people, that people can be strong, you know, that people can be uh, good and be strong, not good and be weak or, or be taken advantage of. And that, Better things are available to us, and we can inspire each other. These are the things that I'm interested in. Oh, yeah. And I I just think less people are interested in these days, you know, especially in the arts. Like, whenever there's something out there, there always seems to be 60 trolls that want to destroy it. No matter how good it might be, it doesn't matter. These guys come out of the woodwork, and I don't know where that attitude is coming from. It's like, you, if you don't like it, move on, you know, and find something you like, because if we all did that, then more people would be inspired. Um, and I think the same thing with news stories, you know, why are we dwelling over and over again on the horrible murder? There was this family that was murdered today. I saw on AOL news, you know, passing through to read my email. I did not read the article, but I saw the headline and the headline was this family of four people completely, you know, destroyed. And it's like, wow, you know, if there was just a different perspective even on these murders or something, you know, there's got to be something. So I don't truly believe that everybody has a voracious appetite for seeing people get killed and destroyed and, Yeah. our know, potential taken away.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it does show up every now and again. I just I watched a clip of uh, Elon Musk on, uh, I think it was on the Colbert show, and uh, he was talking about how he's like, oh, yeah, no, I want to go to Mars. And probably the quickest way to terraform it is we're just going to drop a bunch of nuclear weapons, heat the surface up. I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, I, I don't really want to blow up another planet. I don't really know the science behind it, but the fact that some guy that has the money to do it is on a show talking about building a fucking spaceship so we can start colonizing another planet. To me, that's really, really positive and cool. Like that's, that's some awesome stuff right there.
1: No, it's amazing. And I think, and, and that stuff's so wonderfully interesting. And I, and that's another thing that I have an issue with is because so many, as we're listening to those awesome stories and inspiring stories, then there's the space crab on Mars, where most yeah. people are the woman standing there on the rock. And it's like, <laughs> like, come on, you know, like, maybe they, I, you know, it's possible that there was a civilization there before. I, I don't rule that out, but if there's a giant, you know, space crab that looked like he just stepped out of John Carpenter's The Thing, I think that's pretty amazing too, but I'd like to see more footage of it.
0: Yeah. The, the part with that is it's just more the manpower by, like- smart, observant people spent looking for stuff that at best sort of looks like something vaguely. And it's these people are combing hours upon hours of, you know, Google, Mars, or whatever it's called. And it's a waste of time to a certain extent, because not that the search is a waste of time, but that the, the result is like I saw yesterday, two days ago, a floating spoon on Mars. I mean, I think it's tongue in cheek, but yeah, there's a little outcrop that looks like a floating spoon. But to me, oh, imagine get, how many hours. <laughs> yeah, but imagine how many hours somebody had to spend looking for that.
1: Oh, I know you somebody. Know? <laughs> there was a, the same guy that was in the airport saying that uh, he was there to lead the people. Yeah, spent many hours on Google Mars. So they're out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, and some of the stuff is really interesting looking at. I've seen videos where people—it looks like evidence of an ancient civilization. So I'm not taking anything away from there being evidence. But when it's – when you've devoted that amount of time to defending the floating lady, the Sasquatch they found a few years ago on Mars, like that sort of thing where it's just – at some point you have to kind of understand – And I think maybe the weird community needs to kind of look back at science or the way science used to be and understand that some evidence has to weigh more than others. And instead of wasting your time defending the floating lady or the Sasquatch or the floating spoon – move on to something else, you know, the Sidonia region, where it's like, that's difficult to argue. So let's, you know, let's find more stuff like that and not argue about the space crab.
1: I agree. Yeah, there are more interesting things to talk about. And I, I, I don't know how we're going to wrangle that in, but I, I, I suspect it's going to be by just ignoring, you know, the the, the idiots and, and continue to talk about the things that we think are important to talk about and. Um you know don't give any credence to uh any of the jokes until better evidence is being shown I mean that's why we have this idea of you know having some evidence so we can kind of weed out all the the crap yeah
0: so. and this is a gonna sound like an easy point but a lot of people fail to realize this I think in in the recent years is that people sometimes are just dumb like <laughs> they, yeah they have computers and but Sometimes people are just stupid, and I, I'm i not, like, I'm not judging them as a whatever, but because there's orders of, you know, of how important evidence can be and how much you can weight it, just because someone says something doesn't mean, oh, well, therefore, it's fact. And a lot of this stuff gets awash in things like that, where it's just kind of, you know, oh, yeah, I'm a half-dolphin hybrid soldier, <laughs>
1: Yeah, and no, I, I think it's so important that we, the minute somebody makes a claim like that, you need to put your foot down and say, okay, show me. Otherwise, you know, hey, I'm, oh, I'm not saying, see, my first reaction isn't, oh, no way. It's, okay, show me. You know, I, I want to see it because if I just believed anything anyone told me, I'm in big trouble. You know, and I think a lot of people out there are in big trouble because they're they're really just being deceived. Uh, and there are a lot of deceivers out there. They really are really deceitful people, and who knows what their agenda is? And you know, you, it's a playing with fire. You know, because I, I think some of these people aren't just entertaining themselves, or it's harmless. I think in some cases, some of these guys really want to. Put a cult together, you know. I mean, back in 1969, Charles Manson found the girls on the street and got together and brought all the whole bunch of people to a ranch and made them do stuff. But now we have the internet, and there are a couple of these guys out there that seem, you know, who knows what the next few years are going to bring. You could have internet cults that have been brewing for the last three or four years with people that are putting these ideas in people's heads, and then eventually, They just listen to anything the guy tells them to do. And trust me, I've seen evidence of this. Hmm. So it's not far fetched. I've I've seen a few of these things that seem like they're going in that direction.
0: I, I don't know specifically ones you're referencing, but yes, I, I know of these sort of things. There's a wonderful vice special. Uh, if anybody has a chance to watch it where they interview the Siberian Jesus, I don't know if you've ever seen this guy. Um, I forget his name off the top of my head, but this guy, he looks like Jesus, or, like, you know, he looks like a white Jesus from Renaissance paintings, and he's got a uh, compound in the woods in, like, the Ural Mountains in, in Russia, and he's claims to be Jesus, and he's got, there's, like...
1: A, I'm he, referring to a guy in the States that is doing that exact it, same thing.
0: Yeah. There's... That's the thing. And they're out there, there's a bunch of them, and, uh, yeah, that's... And going back to some people are just stupid, I'm not saying the Jesus guy's stupid, but there's gonna be a lot of people that's gonna buy it, and... Yeah, that's a little scary because
1: well, yeah. guns well are Manson legal. did the same thing. He told them that he was uh, Christ and he was the devil also. He was yeah. all these things rolled in the one. I guess he was saying he was God.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I well, you know, you can't put yourself in that situation, but he he just he he even looked crazy. I did, I that's one of the ones that I I have a hard time figuring out how the hell anybody ever followed him.
1: You know, he. I think he did it in such a way where he was an older guy. He saw that these young girls at that time were easily manipulated. He brought in drugs. Remember, this guy's a con. So he's, you know, he's a convict his whole life. He knows how to manipulate people. He knows, uh, he knows how to get in people's heads and he knows true crime and he, he was around a lot of bad people. So, I guess he had, and I think he also had time to read while he was in, in prison, and he read about hypnosis and different things and, and mind manipulation. So it was part of his plan. And he thought, all right, I can get these girls to do anything for me, anything. Yeah. And it was exciting to him because he's a bad guy, you know. And so the guys like that exist. And I think some of these guys are just all around not so good people. And they're like, hey, there's a lot of gullible people out there. I'll just say I'm the second coming of, you know, any mythological character I can talk about or any unproven character. And, and, and they'll believe me because I'm telling them, just like that, the people that say every few years or so, the world's going to end on this date. Now give me all your money. And these people do it. And oh, you're yeah. just shocked. Like, how the hell do you <laughs> believe this guy? But they believe him and they give away all their money. And some of them kill themselves after but when the world doesn't end. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, you just... I wish I could just grab some of the people that are following these maniacs and say, come on, wake up. But I guess, you know, the, the there are a lot of weak-minded people out there that are looking for someone to follow.
0: Yeah, there's a... it's not a single person now, but I don't know if you're aware of this, but on the 23rd, uh, a comet is going to hit the uh, Earth because NASA said it's going to happen. Now, that's not true, of course, but I, I can't there's, wait. A, there's a ton of stories going around. <laughs> Apparently there's some ascension event happening and we're going to start vibrating at another. It's just, you know, for some reason it's happening this month. There's one of them. So fingers crossed. (laughs)
1: We've heard this over
0: and over again.
1: And and it's like, uh, you know, Charlie Brown with the football being taken away from him. You know, like (laughs) it's, it's not going to happen. You know, it's, it's it's, why don't we, you you know, the world is going to end. It's going to end the day you die. So, uh, why not try and make the best of it while you're here? And there's some really interesting things here. I mean, like, oh, man, things we can touch and analyze. And I love it when, you know, for years they were saying the giant squid didn't exist. And then we found it. And I'm sure there's a Sasquatch-like animal out there that we'll find eventually. And, you know, um, there's some amazing things happening. And I'm sure we're going to end up finding or at least proving some evidence that we've been visited by some, some travelers from other worlds. But I don't know if it's to the extent that the gentlemen in my film are saying, you know. And I, I I just find it, right now, I don't easily believe all of it because there is no evidence of it. It's like it's all just a story right now. And until I see some more of this, then I won't believe it, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh, so you touched on one of my favorite things in the universe, and just purely your opinion you think there's a chance we're going to find a Sasquatch-like thing?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because of the change of, in technology, you know, I think maybe they're a protected species, kind of like why visits from interstellar travelers have been concealed. I think if it would disrupt a lot of things and our known history would be shaken too much and people might not be able to handle, or at least some circles where maybe our governments of the world or at least in some places think that it would be the best that this this species is is protected uh but they're also extremely elusive and probably more intelligent than deer and in a lot of cases you can have expert hunters go out and not find any deer you know uh so they're extremely elusive they have the vantage point they live up in very vast and distant high areas and people have been seeing them for years i don't think they're a hallucination different cultures have seen them uh, that didn't know about each other uh, and didn't share share information with each other, and then you had Theodore Roosevelt saw one. So, I believe they exist. I believe they're out there, and because of the f- now we have these drones that have cameras on them and, and new technologies, I think we'll end up finding one. I think the smart thing to do is, if anyone's truly going to seek one out, um, you know, try and not kill it, but tranquilize it, take samples and then let it go and not let anyone know exactly where you found it so the thing could live and not be hunted down by a bunch of crazy, you know, maniacs with guns that just want to put a Bigfoot head on their wall and just say, look, we have the samples to prove it. I'm not going to tell you where I found it, but here it is. And you show it to, you know, several different groups to analyze it. And that would be proof, I would say, or you take pictures of it on the ground and it can't be established exactly where it is either, a video. And there's no way that anyone can find out and i would say that would be the smart way to hunt this thing down to prove it um
0: yeah i would i would absolutely love that to happen that's the one that just I, of all the weird things i just for some reason the idea that there could be this giant somewhat close to human thing running around the woods you know i live in oregon like it's right there i i would oh that'd be fantastic i would love to, to i want to hang out with them
1: <laughs> I, th- I think they're out there, man. I really do. There have been enough people that have seen them. Just like the, you know, I, I mean, the people that I love, I never saw one myself, but I, of course, believe that they're, they've, there's too many people that have seen these flying discs in the sky for many, many years. And people that I love have seen them. And I, I believe it a hundred percent that these people saw these things. And, you know, we've been visited. And I, I, I mean, the, you know, how could you not believe what Jesse Marcel uh, the story that he told, uh, in regard to the Roswell crash, I mean, or, or other credible cases or astronauts that have seen things. I mean, they're out, th- these things are out there, but again, we, k- just because we have some very credible people and some good evidence to back up these other st- things, uh, doesn't mean we should believe in every little story that comes out or that's told by a guy who says that he's the reincarnation of Jesus or something, Yeah. You know, like, I'd say run away from that guy. Anybody that says they're Jesus, go away. You know, like run the other direction.
0: Yeah. If, yeah. If, if there's a major book about you and you've been dead for a while, I don't want to have business with you. There's, there's something's going to go wrong. There's going to be a compound at some point.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's always some guy who <laughs> you don't want to let in your home that says he's the reincarnation of this amazing, you know, character in history or mythological character, I would say most likely it is not the reincarnation of that person.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd be, fun- again, I would love to have, and they never show up is I would love to have someone say, Oh, I'm the reincarnation of Secundus Valoris. Oh, who is that? Uh, <laughs> never, never was in a history book. I, I lived to, I was 25. I died in the legions of Rome and no one ever knew my name. That'd be cool. There, you would, you would think there'd be a lot more of those stories than, the, you know, 1,700 people, that I think they were Napoleon or a reincarnation of an Egyptian pharaoh.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was the reincarnation of Chef Boyardee. Yeah. You know,
0: like <laughs> oh, that would be wonderful. I would. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe I'm going to start my own thing. I'm going to change my name and claim to be a reincarnation of, of somewhat modern people. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. So. uh All right. So we're going to wrap up here. I wanted to ask you. Well, one, I wanted to say one thing. Who, did you work on the sound design, is that, or did you hire out?
1: No, well, I did the sound editing, sound design, uh, sound recording in a lot of cases, okay. and I had a guy do the sound mix. And on our discs, some people have made the mistake of putting the, 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 the sound button on the surround sound mix when they don't have surround sound. So just to anybody out there that has the disc or is ordering it, make sure you have on the stereo sound.
0: Yeah, I just, I, just a compliment for you. I, I, you mentioned, you name dropped Kubrick before, but it's got a very Kubrick feel to it. The, the, the sound you have in there. It's got a, that indefinable kind of, not necessarily a Clockwork Orange, but a little Clockwork Orange mixed with, uh, the 2001, maybe a little eyes wide shot. I don't, I don't know who does Kubrick sound, but it, it kept reminding me and, Kubrick is well, one of my favorite. Well, I really
1: books. appreciate that because I'm a huge admirer of Kubrick, and obviously he's a big influence on uh, my work. But it's funny that you mentioned who did the sound for 2001: A Space Odyssey. Guess who who claims he did the sound? Oh no, who's that? Preston Nichols. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome.
0: You know what? Yep. Actually, I think I did know. I think I read it to that somewhere. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, that's... Yeah, he said, And when he told me, he's like, you know, Stan was a really good guy. And I'm like, well, I guess it's possible. You know, Stanley Kubrick was in New York at the time, and he did like to work with, like, strange kind of, you know, people who were outside of the, the normal business, you know, the normal film industry business. He would find people to do stuff for him. So it's possible.
0: Oh, wow, that is, that is. Did he make any claims about faking the moon landing? Because, I mean, it's. You're, you're half a, He's half a step away right there.
1: I didn't... I, you know what? I'll talk to Preston about that next time. I did not talk to him about that. But I did talk to Preston. He also said... But he said a lot of things. He said that he did sound for Star Wars. This is all uncredited, of course, because you don't see Preston Nichols' name in the credits of these films.
0: Yeah.
1: He did sound for Star Wars for George Lucas. Him and George were, were close. And that Doc Brown in Back to the Future was based on him. <laughs>
0: really? <laughs> Yep. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, he, well, I mean, good for him. He's got a, he's got a great career going for himself, although uncredited.
1: <laughs> yes, it's all uncredited. So uh, I don't know. I don't, you know, he well, says a lot of, I,
0: well, I'm, I'm almost sorry. I mentioned, I didn't, I mentioned the Kubrick thing. Cause now he's going to claim that he did the sound on your movie.
1: <laughs> no, I did that. I did yeah. that for sure.
0: <laughs> well, not according to him. Cause I, I believe that your brain was wiped and you're actually much older than you are right now. Cause you were regressed.
1: <laughs> That's a possibility. And yeah. that I was chef Boyardee in my past life.
0: I've I, frankly, it's, it's not much more outlandish than some of the things that I've run into in, in the 14 and es- esoteric world. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, well, I think we pretty much covered all, all we had to cover. I mean, again, uh, really enjoyed the film. It was, uh, Quite a quite a quite a relaxing relief from some of the things I sit through on YouTube, and so we actually watch like, oh, there's acting, and oh, you 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 got lights, and, and, and it looks good. It sounds oh, it's so good.
1: <laughs> I really appreciate that. Yeah, because it's weird. I think you know I know the movie played at the International UFO Congress, and the first time, the first version it played there, I, I was subject to the same kind of prejudice in a way because they're very serious about. You know, the UFO research and so am I and all, but I think the argument was that I heard from one of the judges over there was that the reason why my film, it was nominated, but it didn't win because it's too stylistic. And I'm like, well, this is a film festival, isn't it? You know, and the, and the thing that won was a five hour collection of talking heads, the same group of people you see in every show Uh talking about the same stuff with the same still pictures. Over and over for five hours. Now that's great, but you need to take imagery seriously. You know, this. I put a lot of my research into the images. You know, because that's how I, t- I, I I I I delivered the the information to you through symbols and through images. And there's a lot of subliminal imagery in there too, and that I've spent a lot of time on. And um, you know, I I think just because it's stylistic, anybody out there that likes to research these things, open your mind to that because. It's just another way of delivering the information. However, there are tons of interviews in the film too, as you know, but, um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand the prejudice, uh, and not taking a, a movie seriously because it has style. You know, that's just a way of portraying the information.
0: Yeah. I, I think a lot of that is just simply kind of childlike, pedantic things where it's stomping their feet because they can't do it. Because I, People don't make docu, they say this is a shocking documentary, uh, you know, YouTube UFO type stuff. And it's, it's not a documentary. It's, it's clips of things with a robot voice or somebody with an incredibly, incredibly thick accent, uh, uh, trying to do the narration where it's, uh, you know, I'm not being prejudiced against them, but it's an English language documentary. You probably want someone that's quite good at English to be the narrator. It's just a pretty simple. Yeah. Like, you Werner know. <laughs> Herzog. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, there you go <laughs> but he's he's so depressing that it's almost
1: fun to listen to him <laughs> oh he's great i think he's got a, a wonderful sense of humor i think yeah. a lot it's so dry sometimes that a lot of people aren't don't realize he's being funny yeah
0: i like him he's got just <laughs> such a strange delivery and his films are, are are usually quite interesting but yeah it's he's he's a unique individual in the in the world of uh filmmaking
1: Oh yeah, he's great. He's a big inspiration, man. I, I, I really like guys like that and it's going to be sad when they go away. So I think we need some new guys like that that are willing to take a chance and be dangerous in all ways and break the rules, you know? And I think that should be done in all aspects of life. You need to, you need to break rules.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you need me to get eaten by a Bigfoot, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll nominate myself
1: and, uh. yeah, let's do it, man. I, you know, I, I, I want to, well, the the expedition that I was kind of explaining to you that I want to do that and I want to get the right people. I don't want to just get four people who are interested in in Bigfoot to run around and make duck calls in the middle of the woods. I want to get expert hunters and I want to make sure that our our expedition is concealed, that we're not telling people exactly where we are because I feel like there's some responsibility involved. I don't want to be the guy who calls out exactly where these things are. And then have them get destroyed by a bunch of crazy people who, you know, just want to get a piece of it. So I would be very careful as to, I would never t- disclose the location, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I, I believe that's probably the best way to go about it. It's just I the, the money involved for something that is, you know, very difficult, at, you know, if not impossible, to try to, you know, capture actual evidence. That's, I think that's the reason that we haven't seen a really good, you know, uh, Full, either you know, professional documentary or you know, actual proper scientific group go out for it.
1: Well, maybe we can do it. You know, like I have an interest in a, in a Sasquatch story. It's an isolated story, really, and I might do it as my next or one of my next uh, you know paranormal uh, themed docudramas because they have a really, it's cool, it's an awesome story, uh, and and maybe we can we can attach an expedition to it somehow. Uh, but make it, make it count and not promise anything. Let's just show you what great lengths we would go through to do this yeah. and how smart we would be about it. And I would say there needs to be a base camp and it needs to go on for like a month. You know, it needs to, we need to be out there for a month. So yeah. I, I think that would be the best way to do it.
0: I think it'd be good. And then, uh, one more thing. Have you ever checked out the East Eddie ranch?
1: Uh, no, but I'd like to. Uh,
0: oh, it seems like something, uh, it'd be right up your alley because apparently it's one of those places where if you hang out there for you know a week, you're going to see a UFO or some kind of strangeness.
1: It's, oh, is this the, the Skinwalker Ranch?
0: I think that's I think that's another name for I don't know if they're the same thing. It's in Washington.
1: Oh no, that that might be a completely different one. Yeah, no, uh, the one I was thinking of was in Utah, and I, there's a couple of people that are interested in me making a movie about that. But I don't know. I, I want to make sure I can organize everything before I decide. This other Sasquatch story is much more intimate, but I'm I'm always open to hearing of any uh paranormal happening or unexplained happening for a future project for sure
0: oh i'll send you the information over it's i mean i haven't been there it just seemed interesting and uh it seems to be one of the few places that it's certainly not guaranteed but that i've heard of people that are just you know friend of a friend that went there and went oh you know actually shit happened not
1: yeah please please send me the information for sure
0: but uh yeah on that note i've I've kept you way too long um what it's uh, been fun yeah, no, definitely. I'm I'm quite glad uh, we got in contact with each other. What uh where can we send people to get the film, to get in touch with you, to uh, send you their vast 40-page manifestos about how they're reincarnated, <laughs> you know, some other chef
1: <laughs> or Orville Redenbacher. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, if you if you um, if you go to montaukchronicles.com, you can uh email me and you can order either the DVD or special edition Blu-ray there are a lot of extras on both of those discs more on the Blu-ray and you could go to Amazon and order the Blu-ray or DVD uh, of Montauk Chronicles and um you can email me from the from the main website either mtkchronicles.com or montaukchronicles.com
0: Oh, fantastic yeah well uh th- thank you for coming on uh, good times I'm very glad that uh you're into the the broad spectrum weirdness cuz it's hard for me to keep on one topic, so <laughs> it works really well.
1: <laughs> oh, no, this is a good one, Alex. I can't wait till uh, I'm able to post it around.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, I will uh, see you on the internet. I'll send you some stuff.
1: Thank you so much. That's it.